In this time, let's join together in hearing our scripture lesson from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Tell you what, I am truly grateful that this is the last sermon I'm going to preach in 2020. We are so close to 2021. And it's one of those things that we're, we're not quite sure as we get closer to 2021 if it's going to work, right? Is, are, are we just looking at 2020 part two or, or are we going into a whole new year that's just going to be refreshing and alleviating and, and really just build back our confidence as a people? Um, I don't know. I at least have some hope that we are going into a better year. But as we have been anticipating a new year coming upon us, there's something beautiful about new years. Um, because we make it significant, we do. We, there's, you know, once we get to uh, December 31st and then January 1st of the new year, nothing like really remarkable actually happens. We go from Thursday to Friday. It's in the, you know, there's another day jump there. But, uh, and, and we do, we do, you know, have to start remembering to put a one after, at, at the end of our dates now, instead of 2020, we put 2021. But other than that, nothing really remarkable happens, except we make it remarkable. We choose uh, in saying, you know what, starting this year, these are all the ways that my life is going to be different. Starting this year, this is everything that's going to go right in the world. Starting this year, we put in our New Year's resolutions or whatever we want to change there because it's a new year and we're thrilled about that. We're thrilled about the possibility of everything being better than it was before. And so in recognition of that, um, by design, we started uh, going through this sermon series at the beginning of Advent that at the end of each title is this expression, your people. So it started with... Uh, Come for your people, then comfort your people, then be with your people, and then something and your people, and then you and your people, and then today is we are your people. And it's, it's been by design to get to do this this way from Advent through Christmas and going into the new year so that we might go into 2020, excuse me, into 2021 with this mindset of being God's people, that that might be kind of our defining moment going into 2021, an understanding of what it means to be God's people. And there's one crucial detail that we haven't yet touched on in this entire series as far as what it means to be God's people. And that is that to be a people of God is not something that we can accomplish on our own. It's actually not something we have a whole lot of power to do anyway. 
to be God's people, it's, it's something beyond us. It's something greater than us. It's something that only God can initiate, that only God can carry out, that only God can continue to pursue. This right here is what we in the United Methodist tradition call grace, that God, at the beginning of time, looked upon humanity and recognized our flaws and our faults and everything that could go wrong with us and all of the, uh, all of the things that were to come in our future and said, I still want to be with you, despite it all. God says, I still want to be with you. And, and over the course of Scripture, we see this theme played out. In fact, that's what the, the entire Bible is all about. I mean, go through, you know, start in Genesis chapter 1. Read all the way through Revelation. I dare you to do that in 2021. Um, and, and see that common theme that, that spreads throughout all of this text, that God is desperately seeking to be with us whom God has claimed as God's own people. That's the entire story from beginning to end. And it even begins with God being with the people and ends with God being with the people. And in between, it's all of these kind of different process of us running the other direction and God running a little bit faster than us to catch up and us running in the opposite direction again, all because God wants to be with us because God has claimed us as God's own people from the very beginning, and it's something that only God can do. We can say all we like, I am a child of God, and yes, that's absolutely true, but because we say it, it doesn't make it true. It's because God, at the very beginning of it all, said, you are my child. It's something that God initiates, carries out, and continues to pursue. Now, in our text today, Galatians, uh, an interesting one to talk about in the, Christ, in the Christmas season and to, to follow up uh, from a season of Advent, but our passage in Galatians is a critical moment of explanation about all of this. You see, in this passage, Galatians 4, in just these three verses, but really the entire chapter of Galatians 4 talks about this, very well worth a read, talks about a concept without mentioning it explicitly. It's this concept of belonging. And now in this passage, within just these uh, four verses, three, four verses, uh, the word belonging shows up in two different ways without ever actually being said. The first way that belonging shows up is as a slave. Yes, Paul uses the word slave. Verse seven, so you are no longer a slave Slavery is uh, a concept that's not too far removed from our own uh, history and heritage. It's only been 155 years since the end of slavery, and that's the end of slavery on paper, not really the end of slavery, actually. But only 155 years, that's not a very long time in the grand history of humanity. So slavery is a concept that we can still conceive of uh, today because of that. S slaves belonged to their masters. This is the first way we understand belonging in this passage. Slaves belonged to their masters as property, and they were subject to whatever their masters wanted, whatever their masters' needs were. 
Now, I will say that the concept of slavery in biblical times was slightly different than what we, our, our own history with slavery represented, but, um, but still that same concept is the same. Slaves belonged to their masters as property to do what the masters wanted. So now consider this as Paul is saying it, that Paul claims here, so you are no longer a slave. That implies that at one point we were, have been, could have been slaves. And if you read the full expanse of chapter 4, you come to see that what he's talking about is slaves to the world, or slaves to, how does he say it, the elements, the worldly elements, I think that's how he says it, uh, which is just a a strange way to say uh, that when you were children, you were slaves to the things of this world doing what the world wants us to do. And Paul, this is, this is a very common concept for Paul. Paul talks about slavery a lot in, in all of his letters, that, that uh, using this to kind of compare a transition between B.C. and A.C., before Christ and after Christ, uh, in our own lives, not like dates, but in our own lives. Before Christ, he says, we were as slaves subject to the things of this world, the things that ensnare us, the things that try to hold our attention. Interestingly, we are all slaves to something, to some extent. Money is probably one of the biggest ones. That is to say, we can only live insofar as our commitment to our finances allow us to live. Uh, For some, it's power, fame, for some, it's family. Not all enslavements are terrible, but they are things that wrap us up and say, you know what? Your life is going to be dictated by this, by whatever, by whatever it is that I want your life to be dictated by. That's how Paul describes slavery in Galatians. Once you were slaves, but you are no longer slaves. This is the first understanding of belonging in just these four verses here, that we are or have been slaves. The second understanding of belonging comes just after that. The second understanding of belonging is as a child. So you are no longer slaves, but a child through God. Being part of a family, children have a place to belong. That's kind of part of what it means. And, and now, once again, all metaphors break down at some point. Not all children have families proper. Um, not all children feel like they belong. But for Paul's analogy, he uses this uh, as a child to say, as a child, you have a place to belong. And this kind of belonging is the kind of belonging that says you don't belong to the family, you belong with the family. It's your space. It's where you feel comforted. It's where you know you're welcomed. Many of us this season did not get to see our families. It was difficult. My wife and I drove the six hours up to Huntsville to see our families, and like as soon as we arrived, we heard both sides have uh, COVID circulating. I'm like, okay, I guess we're gonna drive the six hours back now. Uh, weren't able to see uh, my family up there. And it was 
you know, it's, it's terrible. That's part of 2020. That's why I'm so anxious for 2021. Um, but, but because we weren't able to be with our families during that time, it's reinforced for us that that is a place where we belong because we felt that distance. We felt that missing out. We felt that we weren't able to be with them where we knew we belonged. But at least we knew we had a place where we are welcomed and loved. And this is what Paul is trying to get uh, into this concept of no longer slave, but a child. That we have a place to belong with God. So this passage describes for us the tension between belongingness and belongingness. Belonging to someone versus belonging with someone or multiple someones. And so the question is left for us, that how do we want to belong? And that's kind of one of those questions is like, what? What do you mean? How do we want to belong? How do we want to live our lives? Do we want to live, and Paul gets into this three, three verses later, maybe two, uh, he says, do you want to keep being a slave to the world, or do you want to be a child of God? And he gives the, he's very good at dichotomies. He sets up this choice for us. He says, we have a choice, belonging to the world or belonging to God. And so feeling this tension between belonging and belonging as we go into 2021, and as we come out of this Christmas, as we come through this Christmas season, I want us to consider for a moment what God has already done for us. So in the birth of Christ, this is what we've been talking about all along, in the birth of Christ, God officially says, I'm sick and tired of being apart from you all. I want to be with you, as with you as humanly possible. And so God, the God of the universe, takes on human form and becomes born into the world in the most human way possible, save the whole virgin birth situation, but becomes born into the world in the most human way possible, like every other human is born into the world, except even more humble and even more lowly, lying in a manger. No crib, no place of comfort out there with the animals kind of situation. And this is how God comes into the world, to be with us. And then God, in human form, grows up into a 30-something, late 20s, early 30-something, and goes into ministry to tell the rest of the world, for only about three years, to tell the rest of the world, I'm here because I want to be with you. And so that you know you belong with me that I'm giving you this space and I'm calling you my own to be able to say, I want you. And God claims us as God's own people. But there's this little wrench that's thrown into all of this from the very beginning. And it's this thing called free will. And we always have to contend with free will whenever we start addressing the Bible. And it's this, it's this beautiful thing and this complicated thing because it doesn't make it easy. 
Because, you know, it would be easy if God just kind of made humanity to just start loving God and all people from the get-go. But instead, we have the opportunity to choose, and we get to choose all along the way which way we're going to go. And so Paul gets to this moment of choice here in Galatians, and he says, you have an option. You have been called the people of God, but you don't have to show up. You don't have to live into that life. You don't have to accept being a child of God. You can instead be a slave to the world. You can belong to the things that vie for our attention and ultimately consume us because we always find out whenever we start pursuing the things of the world that, uh, that they don't quite offer the amount of satisfaction that, that we initially think. But Paul continues on to say, as a child of God, there is freedom and there is love. As a child of God, there is freedom and there is love. And so Paul asks us to consider what that might mean in our own lives. As a people of God, there is freedom and there is love. And I hear so often, uh, being a pastor, whenever you start talking about uh, in, in God there is this freedom, in Christ there is this freedom, and you hear people say, there's not all that much freedom if you're following Christ because now you've got to follow all these rules, right? You've got this, this dang rule book you've got to follow and, and you know, attend to every single thing that it says. Um, well, no, that's not entirely true. Um, I like to say that the Bible is not a rule book. It is a book of possibilities for humanity. It lays out for us the good and the bad, the worse and the better, the best and the worst of humanity. And it gives us that possibility. All the things that we end up seeing as rules in Scripture are all the things that really become manifest for us if we choose to live into this freedom and love. It's all of these things that we consider rules that end up uh, being transformed inside of us to be everything that we desperately desire. See, Paul starts out by saying, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. So there's this law that, once again, Paul sets up these dichotomies. There's this law part, and that's the 683, something like that, I can't ever remember, uh, rules that are actually in the Old Testament, rules that people are supposed to live by, the law that people are supposed to live by. And, and Paul says, this law... It's not meant for us to be subject under it. Instead, it's supposed to be the aspiration of our transformed life. And that in our adoption as children of God, we end up living into a transformed life. Consider for just a moment the, um, the greatest commandment. Y'all ready for a little quiz time? Who can tell me what the first and second greatest commandments are? You can paraphrase if you'd like. Oh, I hear that whispering. People are like, please don't do this. 
Uh, what, what, are the first and, what are the first and second greatest commandments according to Jesus? And this is in Matthew 24. Yes, yeah, that easy. Love God, love one another. That's it. That's, and Jesus says this, this, is the first and, and this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love God, love one another as you love yourself. Um, and then he goes on to say all of the law and the prophets hang on these two things. In other words, you fulfill the law, you fulfill the rules by loving one another. And how do we get to that loving one another? It is through the transformed life that Christ offers, that, that God offers through Christ, that we, when we live into it, when we actually choose the life of a child of God, and that love becomes a part of us, everything else, all of that, the rest of that law, all of the rules end up becoming just how we end up living our lives. It's not something we have to do. It's just something that happens because that's what happens when you love people. You end up caring for them. You end up giving money to the poor. You end up taking care of the orphan and the widow. You end up clothing the naked. You end up visiting those who are sick and in prison. You end up giving food and drink to the hungry and thirsty. That's just something that ends up happening when you love people. They're no longer rules, it's just the freedom and love that is offered to us and through us as children of God. So then, my challenge for us today is simple. As children of God, as God's own people, embrace the welcome that you have received in the love and freedom of God. You have been called child of God. Let's actually do this. Let's do this little exercise. I want you to repeat after me, okay? I am a child of God. All right, now we're going to say it all, all of those words together. I am a child of God. But this time we're actually going to mean it, okay? So on the count of three. One, two, three. I am a child of God. Yes, you are. You have been claimed as God's own people. This is something that God has done for us. Now, my challenge is just to embrace that, to live into that love and freedom, to say, you know what? This is the life indeed that I choose to live. We'll only find emptiness as slaves, but as children we might find hope and peace and joy and love and yes, indeed, Christ. So knowing that we are God's people, my challenge is that we cry out, Abba, Father, to the God who has claimed us as God's own people. And let us pray.